takes me a little longer. <laughs> Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 3, and verse 7. Chapter 3 and verse 7. I so appreciate the job that Pastor Scott and Pastor Todd have done these past uh, four weeks in preaching on the, the series in the churches of Revelation. An outstanding job they've done doing that. Um, we continue today with the next to the last church, the church at Philadelphia. And I do want to just mention here the reason we moved into this series out of Romans and into this series on, on these seven churches. We'll only go through the third chapter of Revelation. We won't go through the whole book at this time. The reason we did that was, as we've talked about, as a point of examination, a point of self-examination. We, we wanted to, to think about what Christ thinks of his church and, and how Christ looks at his church. And in each of these seven churches, seven letters, uh, Jesus, through the Apostle John, is telling us certain things about the needs that exist within churches in our day, as well as in that day. And we've seen how in Ephesus they'd lost their first love, and we talked about that weeks ago. We saw how in others they had given up and they had, they had fallen and let immorality uh, bloom up within the church, and they had let Jezebel have her way among the body. I mean, just all sorts of problems that, that happened in these early churches, but they are problems that we see expressing themselves in the church of Jesus Christ in the 21st century just as much. We come to the church at Philadelphia, and we see here a church that Jesus gives no condemnation to. There, there's only two of them that he doesn't give any condemnation to, and Philadelphia is one of them. And he, he talks about where they are and what's going on and what he's done for them. And he talks about their standing before him. And that's so very important for us to see and for us to understand and for us to grasp if we are seeking to be what God has called us to be. If we're seeking to be the church that Jesus Christ can use in this community and beyond, whether it's in Columbus, in Canada, or wherever, then we have to take seriously what Jesus is saying to the churches through the Apostle John. That's important that we see and important that we understand. So I want you to hear what he says to the church at Philadelphia, and then we'll look at that this morning, and then we come to the Lord's table. And I think it's, I think it's significant that we do that this morning after talking about what uh, Jesus says to Philadelphia. Now someone asked me, or actually a couple of people asked me before the service this morning, they said, I thought we were observing the Lord's Supper next Sunday night at our, at our congregational meeting, our family meeting. And the answer is, yes, we are. But we're observing it this morning and again next Sunday night. Two weeks in a row. Can you believe it? I mean, wow. As I told somebody this morning, yeah, if, if I had it my way, we'd observe it every Sunday. Because I think that's what the early church did. But that's another story for another time. But we are observing the Lord's Supper today. I think it's significant coming out of this study of the church at Philadelphia. Hear the word of the Lord as I read it. And to the, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those 
of the synagogue of Satan, who say that they are Jews, but they are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In each of these letters, the Apostle John records from Jesus a beginning and an ending that are very similar. In the beginning, he tells who he is. He reminds this church of who he is and the importance of who he is. And here he simply says to the angel, and we would interpret that, I think, to be the pastor of the church of Philadelphia, the one who is the under-shepherd at the church of Philadelphia, I write this, the words of the Holy One and the True One. Jesus says, I want you to understand, I'm the Holy One. Just as in the Old Testament, God was over and over and over referred to as the Holy One of Israel. As the words were given, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty there in Isaiah chapter 6. Jesus is making identification with his Father here. He said, I am the Holy One. Holiness is what befits me. Holiness is what is my character. Holiness is who I am. If we see the expression of of holiness about God throughout all the scriptures, we find out that everything flows out of his holiness. We know that God is love, but we understand that his love is a holy love. We understand that God is just, but his justice is a holy justice. Everything flows from that central character quality, that central attribute, if you will, of God's holiness. And Jesus says to the church at Philadelphia, as to other churches in these letters, I want you to know that I am identified with my Father. As he said in in John's gospel, the Father and I are one. We We are in total oneness together. And so he shows his deity there. He shows that he is the one who comes down with the Father. He says he's the true one. And and in talking about being true, he's just talking about that he is the genuine one. He is the real one. He is the authentic Messiah, the one who was promised and the one who would come. He says, here's who I am, and I now have the authority, and I have the right to speak to you as no one else does. And that's exactly what he does to this church at Philadelphia. So he identifies himself. Then he closes this this section to this church, just like he does all the others, with that familiar statement, "He, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, he's not specifically talking about physical auditory ears here. I mean, most of you in this room have ears, but you may or may not hear what the Spirit is saying to the church at Grace in Somerset, Kentucky, unless your spiritual ears are in tune to what the Spirit is saying and calling us to. That's what we're praying for in our upward and outward gatherings on Sunday evenings. That's what we're praying for in moving through these churches, that we will let the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, 
speak clearly to us about our personal needs for renewal and revival and about our church's needs for renewal and revival. And, and, and just like the church at Philadelphia, we can look around and say, oh, but we're doing so many things so well. And I would agree with that. But what, what John is communicating to this church and Jesus is communicating to us is, it's not a matter of saying, oh, we're doing pretty good here. We ought to be okay. But it's saying, I want you to be everything that I've called you to be. I want you to be something in this world that, that makes an absolute difference for the gospel. And I want that for your individual life. And I want that for the church's life as well. It's not a matter of just saying, okay, we're doing pretty good. It's not a matter of saying, okay, we're okay. It's not a matter of saying, well, we're doing better than the church down the street or we're doing better than uh, my, my relative's church somewhere else. It's a matter of saying, God, are we what you have called us to be? The church of Philadelphia was kind of a unique church. It, it, it was situated about 28 miles southeast of Sardis, the church we looked at last week. And so it would just kind of be the normal pattern for the, for the mailman, if you will, whoever the mailman was delivering these letters, It'd be just the normal route for him to go right on down from Sardis, 28 miles, and deliver the letters to the church at Philadelphia for them to read. Uh, it, was next, uh, it was next on the list in the circular route. And, and like Sardis, it was in a very fertile region of Lydia and, and was dominated by Mount Tormus, which was a, a volcanic mountain that was there. And it, it, was, it was very prominent in view. As a matter of fact, in Philadelphia, as well as in Sardis for that matter, the, uh, the earthquakes from the volcano were very common, or earth tremors, if you will. And it, in A.D. 17, an earthquake happened in Philadelphia and in Sardis, in that region, where it absolutely devastated Philadelphia. It was totally destroyed. Now, Philadelphia had been built for a very specific reason. It, it had a real purpose for it. And the purpose was it was built to be kind of a, a door, if you will. We'll see the door come into play here with John and, and with Jesus' words through John to the church. It had built as, been built as kind of a doorway to Asia for Greek language and Greek culture. That's the whole purpose of it. You, you could almost say that, that Philadelphia was built as a mission city, taking away the idea of a Christian mission at this point, but built as a mission city for, for Greco-Asian culture, that they wanted to get it into Asia. They wanted the, the Greek culture to move to Asia. And so it was built there for that reason. But in AD 17, it was completely demolished by this earthquake, this horrible earthquake. But by the 90s, Philadelphia, with the aid of an imperial subsidy, I guess we could call that a stimulus package, with the aid of, a, with the, aid of a, the government coming in and rebuilding it, by the 90s, Philadelphia was completely rebuilt. And within that city, that rebuilt city, was a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. As I say, it was built as a mission for Greek culture. But now Jesus is saying to this small church there, evidently small, we'll see in a minute. But, but say to this church now, you see the purpose of this city, why it was built, but there's a greater purpose while it's there, and you are a part of that greater purpose. And it's important for you to see that. So, so Philadelphia is an important city for the gospel, as much or more so than it was for Greek culture during that day. 
Go on and read in, in verse 3, excuse me, verse 8, the second verse there. I know your works, I know what you're doing, and he doesn't say your works are bad. He says, I know they're there, and I, they obviously were doing something. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one will be able to shut. I, I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. And then he talks about this persecution. We'll come back to that in a minute. But, but he says here, I want you to understand, the door is open. There, the three images there, the three symbols or descriptions that are very vivid in this letter that, that aren't so much in the other letters is the image of a key, the image of a door, and the image of a pillar. Now, in the key, when he says, I have the key of David, back in verse 7, I am the true one who has the key of David who opens and no one will shut and who shuts and no one opens is really a, a reference back to Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22, where there was a messianic prophecy there that Isaiah was speaking related to what the Messiah would do when he came. And in, in Isaiah 22, 22, it says this, I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. And he shall open, and none shall shut, and he shall shut, and none shall open. The, the idea there is that the Messiah, Jesus Christ himself, has the authority to make opportunity for ministry and has the authority to close opportunity for ministry when he talks about this key and this door that is set before them. You see, we sometimes get the idea that what we do is really up to us. That, that, that if we get enough strength, if we get enough encouragement, if we get enough power, if you will, to us in one sense of the word, then we can do anything we want to do, ministry-wise or otherwise. But Jesus wants this church to understand that their ministry and their opportunities for ministry and they're being used for the gospel ministry going forth from Philadelphia into Asia and Asia Minor and, and that particular part where they live. Their usefulness in ministry is dependent upon Him. And we have to remember that today. It's not dependent upon how smart we are, how rich we are, how affluent we are. It's dependent today upon Him. He says there, he says, I, I want you to, I've set before you an open door. I, I've got the key of David, and I've opened the door. I've unlocked it. I, I know that you have little power. I know that you're, perhaps it means there, they're small. They're not affluent. They're, they're a church that struggles with, with, with just getting by, and there's not a great number of people to go out and do a lot. He says, I know you have little power, but the implication there is, the gospel message and the gospel ministry is not dependent on your power. It's dependent on His power. It's not dependent on what you can do and what you can strategize for. And that, that's just as true for us today. We can come up with all sorts of programs, all sorts of ideas, all sorts of movements. But He says, I want you to understand something, that it is dependent upon my power. And, and as you keep my word, and as you stand firm in my truth, and as you refuse to deny my name, 
that door for ministry and that power from the Holy Spirit that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ will remain strong. It's when we start denying the truth of God, when the church starts denying His name, when the church stops keeping His word and saying, no, we've got a better idea than what God's word says, when those things happen, that's when the door shuts. And when the door shuts on ministry, it's a door that shuts, that is locked, that no man can open, Jesus says here. Again, ministry is dependent upon Him. It's not dependent upon us and what we do. So, so, so Jesus says through John here, I want you to know, I recognize your weakness, but I also realize that you have recognized that your strength doesn't come from your strength. Your strength comes from me. Your strength is not dependent on who you are. Your strength is dependent upon who I am. So he goes on. He talks about the key of David. He talks about the open door. He talks about the the, the power of Christ that works. He said, now, I know you're under persecution. The the church at Philadelphia was not without persecution. He said, listen, there's, there's those of the synagogue of Satan. That's a pretty strong statement. You know, those folks down there, they are the devil. (laughs) Now, they profess to be religious. They profess to be Jews. They hate you because of your faith in Christ. And they detest what you are doing. And and they seek to try to destroy you. But you've kept my word. You've not denied my name. You have not bowed to the synagogue of Satan. You've not bowed to those who would bring persecution upon you. You have stood firm. Speaking the truth of the gospel. You know, we live in a day when more and more there is a hatred of Christianity. That's what, ha- that's what was happening in Philadelphia. Uh, these people hated the church in Philadelphia. They hated it because they confessed Christ. They hated it because they said there is an exclusivity to the gospel. And unless you come through Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ alone, there is no salvation. There is no right relationship with God. There is no heaven. There is no, I mean, it goes on and on. They hated that saying, it's only through Christ. Guess what? In our day, they still hate the same thing. They still hate the same thing. If we, uh, if we were to say, you know, we just really live in a, in a, in a multicultural, and we do, we just really live in a, a diverse society, and we do. And so because there are all these diverse ideas, we want to say everybody is okay with God as long as they're sincere. And as long as they have sincere faith in something or somebody, then, then they're okay. We don't have to worry about it. doesn't have to be in Jesus. doesn't have to be in the gospel. Just as long as we would, if we would say, then they're okay because they have a sincerity about them, because they are sincere Buddhists or sincere uh, uh, Muslims or, or whatever, then they're all right. We'd say that. Man, the world would love us. The world would love us. But if the church of Jesus Christ says that Jesus Christ is the only way, as Jesus himself said, then we become judgmental, we become out of touch, we become bigoted, we become all sorts of things. And the world will hate that. You've seen it demonstrated in the news and in other things over the past few weeks. I always get uh, amused that, that Christians seem to be surprised when that happens. 
you know? Oh, no, they're saying bad things about believers. How can they dare do that? I saw uh, uh, several things online saying, you know, that the view ought to be banned, ought to be taken off the air because they say these horrible things about Christianity. Let me tell you something. If they take the view off the air because they say uh, hateful things about Christianity, what do you think is going to be the next thing to go? Any mention of Christ, any gospel witness in, in public place. No, I don't want them banned. I just look at them and say, you know, you know what they're acting like? They're acting like who they are. They're, they're doing what they do naturally. They hate the gospel of Christ. They hate the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. And so they're going to speak out of their heart. Out of the heart, the abundance flows and the mouth speaks out of the heart. And what's at the heart of the matter is what will be spoken. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me at all. Oh, I don't like it. I think it's kind of foolish. But it's natural. It's normal. And, and so there in Philadelphia, he said, there's these people, the synagogue of Satan, who say they're Jews. They say they're religious. They say they represent God, but they are not. They lie. They, they deceive themselves, and they try to deceive others. But he said, listen, they will ultimately bow down at your feet, and they will learn that I have loved You know, in that final day in Philippians, Paul says, in that day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And, and Jesus says here, listen, they're, they're even going to bow down before you. They're going to acknowledge that you were right, although it'll be too late for that acknowledgement to come. There is persecution. And persecution will come from without. In the other churches, there was some persecution and some denial within, if you remember, Jezebel and those others, that there was, a, there was sinfulness within the body, and it was like a cancer within the body. In Philadelphia, it's not the, within the body, they're keeping his word. They're not denying his name. They're, they're being obedient to the gospel truth that they have, they have come to. But from the outside, remember John chapter 15? When Jesus said, listen, if they love me, they'll love you. If they hated me, they'll hate you. Don't be surprised when they persecute you just like they persecuted me. Don't be surprised when they seek to put you to death just like they put me to, well, are about to put me to death. Don't be shocked at that. Just keep my word. Don't deny my name. Don't say, well, I will deny Christ in order to keep my life or keep my possessions or keep my status rather keep my name keep my word and proclaim my name what jesus is saying here this church about this open door he's saying listen the door is open i have opened it for ministry you haven't denied my word you haven't denied my name you've kept them and now i want you to walk through that door and boldly proclaim them to the city in which you exist and that's exactly what he's saying to you and me persecution Hatred, that's all going to come. It's all a part of it. Because there are those who hate Christ, and if they hate Christ, they're going to hate you. I'm sure some there in the church, even though they were standing faith, were saying, yeah, but boy, this is hard. It's hard to hear that sort of thing. It's hard to be attacked in that sort of way. It's hard to hear people saying things about Christ that, 
that, that just really, really is blasphemous. It is hard. But Jesus says in verse 10, because you've kept my word about patient endurance, you're enduring, I will keep you. Let me tell you, there is no greater promise in all of Scripture, in my estimation, than those three little words. I will, four words, I will keep you. No greater promise in all of Scripture. We, we sing that hymn, He will hold me fast. And, and that's what Jesus is saying to the church at Philadelphia. I'll hold you fast. We sing other songs about, I will stand in his presence. Why do we stand? Because we're strong? No, because he's strong. I mean, the truth of Scripture is, and the promise of Scripture is, I will care for you. I will protect you. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to, to, try, to try those who dwell, dwell on the earth. Now, I realize there's a lot of different interpretations of what that verse is saying. There's some who believe Jesus is saying, okay, I'm just going to snatch you out of it, and you don't have to worry about it anymore. I don't think that's what the text allows us to see here. I think Jesus is saying, listen, it's going to be, you're going to see persecution. The synagogue of Satan is going to get more active. And, and as you keep my word, and as you have patient endurance, and continue in the truth of the gospel, I want you to know this. I am with you, and I will keep you. Somebody told me a month or so ago, I haven't really talked to anybody in a month or so much. They said, you know, I don't, I don't know if, I don't know if real persecution came. And they came to me and they said, it's your life or you deny Christ. Or, or, or you're going to lose all your possessions and everything you've worked so hard for. Unless you deny Christ, you're going to lose all that. This person said, I don't know if I could stand. I don't know if I could continue to confess Christ. Matter of fact, I'd probably reason, well, if I just say I deny him, but really, you know, keep my fingers crossed behind my back, just say I deny him, and, and you know, that way I can live, and I can continue on in some semblance of ministry, I can keep everything I've worked for. I want to tell you something. You can't, you can't in your own strength, not deny Christ. You, re you really can't. Oh, you can muster up some kind of bravado, you know, when, when, when things are good and say, oh, I'll always stand, man, I'll do it. You know, but when, when the persecution comes, when the stress comes, if you're depending on your bravado rather than depending on Christ Jesus alone, You'll fall. You'll deny. You'll turn your back. But here's the promise. I will keep you. I will hold you fast. I will protect you in the middle of whatever is thrown your way. What a grand and glorious promise. So he says, I've got a key, and there's a door, and I've opened it, and no man can shut it. 
you keep faithful to my name and you keep faithful to my word and that door will stay open for ministry and for gospel proclamation. Now go through the door and proclaim it. The key of David, the door is open. And then he talks about a pillar. If you persevere, verse 12, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He shall never go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. What in the world does it mean you'll make the believer, make the church a pillar in the temple of his God? Well, I think there's an interesting contrast here when he talks about those of the synagogue of Satan. They just have a synagogue. Christ has a temple. We know the scripture talks about we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies have the possession of the Holy Spirit. We're his temple. He dwells within us. He gives us the power. He gives us strength. He gives us wisdom and all those things that that take place as we walk with Christ. We understand that. But this is something special. The one who conquers, and I think one there could be the one church or the one individual. They both go hand in hand. They're, they're, They're inseparable, if you will. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple, my God. So you got a key, you got a door, you got a pillar. I remember Paul writing to, to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, and he said, If I delay, now you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, in the church, in the body. If I don't get there anytime soon, I've told you now through all of my instruction how you ought to behave in the household, what's important about leadership, what's important about the word. He he laid all that out. And then he says this, in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress or a pillar and a fortress of truth. We are called, we are set apart, we are protected, we are strengthened, we are, we are able to stand against persecution and, and, and stand against anything that comes against us in order that we might stand as pillars in the temple of Almighty God. That we might stand as pillars, a part of the church of, G, of the living God, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, a pillar and a buttress of truth. Understand this, this is so very, very important. For renewal and revival and, and yes, indeed, reformation to take place within a local church or within your life, it all comes back to the truth of God. And how that truth is impacting your life and and how that truth is being taken in and assimilated and and applied by the Holy Spirit, renewal in a person or renewal and revival in a church all centers around the truth of God's Word. You see, revival is not revivalism. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. Revivalism is what we tried to live on in the Bible Belt for the last hundred years. Let's have a revival, you know. I, I wish we could just say let's have a revival and do it like that and it'd be done. Can't even snap my right hand. 
uh, and, and just it would happen. We can't do that. can't plan a revival. You can seek a revival. You can pray for revival. You can immerse yourself in the truth of God and desire for God to do that work within you as revival. But revivalism was emotionalism. Revivalism was let's get, get together, beat the drums, have some emotional music, have some emotional preaching, and, and man, we'll just feel good for a day or two. Maybe even a week or two. But then we flood back into the same old Bible Belt legalism, the same old Bible Belt lack of gospel focus. Same old Bible Belt, as long as I'm comfortable, as long as I'm not being persecuted, as long as things are going well, I'm okay. Church at Philadelphia, I have a feeling from reading, uh, from reading uh, William Ramsey, a New Testament historian, I have a feeling the church at Philadelphia was a church that was always just a bit on edge. They never felt very comfortable. They didn't fear because they knew Christ would keep them. He would hold them fast. There was no fear there. There was no real anxiety there. But I think they were always on edge because the, the synagogue of Satan, those outside, were constantly bombarding them and challenging them and, de and calling them to deny Christ over and over and over and over again. So there was always that edge. There is a real danger when we become too comfortable. There's a real danger when we can enjoy our comfortable chairs and our beautiful instruments and air conditioning or heat, whichever the case may be needed. I think the opposition from the outside was good for the church at Philadelphia. Now, I don't want it. But I think maybe the only salvation for the church of Jesus Christ is that we see a little opposition. We see a little persecution. And we say it's only the gospel that can change that. Politics can't change it. Government can't change it. Supreme Court can't change it. Only the gospel. So my hope is in Jesus Christ. It's not in anything else. And if we're going to be the church that God has called us to be here at, at Grace Baptist Church, it will be when we fix our eyes on Christ and our hope is, is, is in Him alone. That's what the church at Philadelphia teaches us. And he says, if you've got spiritual ears, if you've got, a, if you've got ears to hear, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's not fun and games. It's life and death. Life and death for those you love that you want to take the gospel to. Life and death for our nation. Life and death for us. Let's pray together.
Father, in you we do put our trust. And even now as we prepare to come to this Lord's table, those who will serve will come forward and prepare themselves. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will speak to us, first of all, through the church at Philadelphia. And then secondly, Lord, through the elements of this meal. Reminding us, Lord, that it is in this meal that we are pointed to the cross. Pointed to the cross of Jesus Christ. Your body. Your blood. Your death in our place. The new covenant being sealed. That we might walk through that open door in your strength. Father, help us to do that. Help us, O Lord, to see your grace in the elements of this meal. Your body given, your blood shed. Father, we thank you for your goodness and for your grace. In Jesus' holy name, amen.